If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello, I'm Professor Gianni, and some people call me the podcast professor. You must be the kid who moved in next door. Look out for that tall grass, because you might come across some wild Pokemon. Welcome to episode 22 of Pixel Sift, and today we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Pokemon. Or actually, we're just playing it so much at the moment that it's pretty much embedded in our brain. Instead of Pokemon, today we're discussing the value of reviews and the links that people go to to obtain a positive one. Yeah, we also have an interview with uh, Robert Bruce from Immersion VR and Chris Parkin of Offpeak Games about the future of virtual reality gaming. And our final topic is a discussion on spiritual successor games when nostalgia and dedication lead to fresh new developments. All that and more coming up on episode 22 of Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift! It's not Pixel Sift, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift! Tuh. Now, you may not have seen this uh, news story come out, but it's some pretty great reporting. Uh, Phil, who I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to mispronounce your name, but Iran Iwaniak at PCGamesN.com has discovered that there exists a secret market for games, but it's not exactly what you would think. All right. It, so, yeah, basically, you can. it's kind of like a Craigslist, I guess, for game reviewers. There's a website yeah. that's called Fiverr with a double R at the end, um, and you can pretty <laughs> much pay people five bucks... To do... Well, mostly anything. Whatever they advertise, I guess. Yeah, and some people have got in there and they've started advertising to give you a positive thumbs-up Steam review for five bucks. And sometimes if you you get the right person, they'll give you two positive Steam reviews for five dollars. One of the big things about this is that you basically give them a copy of the game. Uh, You pay them your five bucks, they play it, and some of them will guarantee that they'll play it for at least an hour. Some of them will play for more, and then they'll give you a, a tacit... Uh, positive review. Uh, it's kind of underhanded, basically saying that you know you're being paid this thing, you're going to get a positive review. So yeah, what I found interesting about it is some of them had like different tiers at which they're willing to go. Like some of them say very outright that they have duplicate Steam accounts and then they are ready to use those two Steam accounts to like either rack up either ten hours of gameplay on each or give you two reviews and like they're lengthy. Like there's there's like um, resumes of different reviews they've done and for different games. I mean, this is an obvious question of ethics uh, here, and it's not new to platforms uh, or any other platform, I guess. You know, you have pay for anything these days. You know, you have, you have pay for likes on, on Facebook, even SoundCloud, any kind of other media medium out there. So it's not surprising, but it is very disappointing. And I wish if um, there was more kind of reviewing into the reviews system, especially when it's, take, it's something that's taken so seriously. Like, mm. I know that you get... 
people that really rely on reviews quite heavily for their decision making when they're buying games or etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know these there's a lot of lot at stake with these and uh, especially for the things like Metacritic. I mean, mm-hmm. they're kind of... Use, user reviews exist for those who want to bypass the game's media, and like this seems at complete odds with that. And one of the things about it as well with the Steam platform is that the negative reviews that sit on your profile kind of sit there for quite a while, and they're one of the first things you kind of see that are sitting there. So you can understand that if you were a, a, someone who's trying to make a livelihood out of this, you maybe want to try and skew the thing in your own perspective. But... With reviews of all um, kinds, they're kind of only as valuable as what you think of the person's opinion, effectively. Yeah, yeah. So that's why your large gaming sites have got quite a big review sort of arm to them. You know, they make a big effort to try and have uh, you know lots of different reviews, and you kind of trust the people who are doing the reviews. Uh, but random people on the internet who do reviews, they're not as valuable in terms of uh, influencing. Uh, a person's decisions than someone who would be like a, a friend or family member or well, a peer or something like that. Well, well, here's the thing: like regarding it, it it, it may not you might not value the opinion value the opinion itself, but those positive thumbs up do influence where the game sits in regards to charts. Yeah, that's and, it. Like, These stats and, matter and lists. Mm. Yeah, that are relied on algorithms to show you you know where things sit in regards to user opinion and. If this can be skewed so much as to like just by five bucks, it just seems like it. It just seems a bit shady. And look, uh, like I understand, there's different angles you can come at this. You know, for not so big developers, getting people to review their games it can sometimes be a difficult thing. And you know, paying someone a fiver to review a game, you know, especially if they're you know, like you said, uh, it, your reviews are only worth as much as the reviewers kind of rep. If it's someone that's going to take five dollars and actually do a legitimate review. I don't really have much problem with that, but it's very hard to remain unbiased if you're receiving money from someone and you're meant to report on, you know, the product that they're providing. I think that's the problem. There's a conflict of interest in that you can't be critical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, $5 is not a huge amount of money, but yeah. say if you're doing a lot of them. Yeah, but money's money. I but mean, money's money. $5 is 5 cents. It's still, you know. It's going to influence you. Yeah. And there's there's a, there's a, an agreement that's basically been made for... Uh, a review and people don't want to be, pay five dollars and get a negative review. He's... Well, I mean, even when they guarantee genuine reviews, these these five are people, these five are sellers, uh, and every one of them delivered positive reviews in the past to the pe- to the to the story that un- un- like found this out kind of thing and where we all got this original idea from. Coincidence? Like, I think not. They're just they're offering a service and they don't want to really lay out that it's an unethical. He's one. actually posted a like a bit of a transcript from here. It just says like um it just and quote, thanks for sending me over some samples. Will the would the reviews be positive? And it says thanks, Phil. And then to the the person responds to him, it's like it is unspoken, but yes. And mm. some some other so, thing, some other people didn't flat out say yes. They they said more like you know yeah, I can't I can't guarantee examples. you know I do a genuine review and blah blah blah. But like I said, regardless of what they actually said, whether they were straight up or whether they were mm. you know remained true to their ethical stance, they still received a positive review. Like mm. so, there's it's some it's some really great reporting, and we're definitely going to put a link up to it on our site because he's he's gone through and checked out all the things. He's gone through all the lists of these people's games and see what games they're actually reviewing. And there are a few that kind of cross over a lot. So obviously, there's a few games that maybe um, would have gone out there and actually you know solicited these reviews for their particular thing. But maybe there's other reasons why. Maybe someone else could be spending five bucks. So, buying a copy of the game and to slander one of their um, yeah, I'm, you know? just, I'm just saying like yeah, I'm yeah just, counter I'm just, reviews yeah, yeah. 
if someone looks like they've got a bunch of it, well, the term is called astroturfing, basically Ooh. when you have a fake grassroots campaign uh-huh. um, to try and put up a positive spin to it. The campaigns as well that when you have these review cycles as well, they're not only just on the you know the user generated side. Some of the contracts for some of the uh, the high profile games that we would have heard about, for example, Obsidian who made uh, Fallout New Vegas, famously missed out on a. a Basically, a bonus for their for their contract for creating that game because they didn't hit the requisite Metacritic score in uh, for, for within a certain time. Basically, right. they wanted their game. Bethesda's contract with them wanted them to have a certain Metacritic score plus a certain amount. They didn't quite reach that amount, so they didn't get their bonus for their game. And a, and a lot of people had to get laid off. And the company kind of closed that section of their their thing because of it. So that's a bit crap because you've got something that's yeah based on what we think is a f- fair. Uh, user reviews when it obviously is not and it has flaws there's in its a, system. There's a certain question of legitimacy and like authenticity yeah. and regarding and this huge. concept. And something and like Metacritic as well, as well as the Steam things as well. It's an average. Yeah, you know? it is absolutely So an you could always yep. have some people out there who absolutely hate it and they're going to skew it massively and people who obviously really love it out of out of con- out of the uh, scale as well. The yeah, sad part is the majority of people that play games don't review. No, they like, don't. Your, your Most of your audience is not going to type up a review and push the thumbs up. They're not yeah. going to do that. That's yeah. right. I can't remember the last time I personally did it. Sometimes no, I, I mean, like, yeah. We, we don't review on this show because, like you said it earlier, like you need to be someone of relevance kind of thing to be able to spout something about oh, yeah. something of such importance, you know, and we kind of don't feel that we hold that kind of power. So we try not to steal We try to stick to cultural topics. And also, you know, there's there's issues as well when you are reviewing games in that there's a transactional uh, part of that where, you know, if you're talking to game developers and you're doing a review for them, that could be what they, uh, you know, expect from you. They expect a review and they'll try to do that. And it kind of, you, you limit the sort of honest and earnest conversations that you can have mm-hmm. about people with all these sorts of things. So, you know, it's reviews are interesting. I think people do put a little bit of faith in them. But, you know, if, if your mate on the playground or at school says, hey, play this particular thing, you're probably going to listen to them over Joe Blogs on the internet who's been paid five bucks to review the game. Absolutely. True. That's right. All right. Well, let's jump into another topic. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. The VR age, it's almost upon us. If you want to get in on the first retail VR set headsets, you can order them right now. Uh, we had the HTC Vive go up for pre-order this week. Uh, we also had Oculus come up earlier in the last month or sort of late last month and sort of started to become available now. Uh, this week I spoke to a couple of people who are working in VR and we looked at the future potential. So I'm Robert Bruce. I, uh, I'm a VR enthusiast. I absolutely love technology in, in general as well. I kind of want those experiences that you see in uh, movies and stuff to, to come to, to life kind of thing. Um, I'm working in a company called Emerger VR. Um, we are uh, trying to take this amazing technology of virtual reality stuff and apply it to industry and, um, and make people's lives safer and much better experience. VR headsets are everything that everyone is talking about at the moment. It's pretty much the pinnacle technology that everyone is looking at. And now people are starting to get a chance to have their hands upon them and look at what they're, um, they're doing about. What do you guys think about VR technology? Well, we, we tried it out last Thursday. You tried actually. the Vive out, no, yeah? The, tribe was, the, the, the Vibe was pretty cool. The Vibe uh, was good. And yeah. the Vive? The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> nice. The Vive. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was pretty cool. And I think I, the thing I liked about it the most is I didn't I thought I would have to maybe trick myself into 
believing it. Believing it, but as soon as you put the headset on, yeah, you're in it. You're immersed. The suspension of disbelief mm. is really yeah, quite I, quick. I thought then. I would need to convince myself mm. to to believe it. Yeah, I, there I was. How, so yeah, there was, it, but there wasn't any of that. There was one yeah. moment um, where I had a sort of slightly immersion breaking. Uh, experience and that with the Vive you've actually got two hand controllers as part of it and they sort of manipulate in real time and you can kind of point at things in real life which is really cool much better than using a controller to kind of do it you move your hands around yeah motion controllers yeah Yeah. one of my uh, one of my controllers the batteries died so my hands disappeared and then I was like oh I don't have a hand anymore and I was still moving and it wasn't doing anything so See, I really like the idea of the Vive, uh, and I'm kind of jealous that you guys have got to check it out because it's like, like you said, exclusively based around that two like remote-like motion controllers. But I like the idea of it having the built-in camera that can, you know, snap you back to the real world on command. And also, yeah. they've got like a phone sync, so you can still receive calls and stuff. Mm. Um, there, there are three main sort of VR headsets that are kind of available yeah. or coming out very soon uh, on the market at the moment. Now, the Gear VR, which is made by Samsung, and that actually hooks into the modern Samsung phones. Um, the Oculus Rift, which kicked off this sort of VR revival and the regeneration and the Vive, as we've just been talking about, which has been backed by Steam. And uh, Robert broke down some of the differences between the technology for all of those different devices. The, the main differences between them is the the mobile ones, they only really just have uh, head tracking. So they don't have any positional tracking at all. And what I mean by that is is that uh, you can't actually move your head or move around, but you can still rotate your head and it will still track that. Then your next steps up are your Oculus, which has a form of positional head tracking for a meter. So you can move your head around in about a a meter box, and it makes a big difference. Um, And then your last experience, which um, is the Vive, is even one step above that because now you can actually walk around an entire room and you actually have controllers um, that you can use with your hands. Oculus will be coming with controllers, but that's slated for end of the year. So exactly right, as we were mentioning before, you have got the controllers and you can walk out on this little mat basically in the in the thing and they've got this thing called the lighthouse basically which kind of sits up the top and, yeah. you know, to text what your position is in, in, in real-time space. Now, I also yeah. had the chance to speak to um, Christopher Parkin who we talked to in episode 14 of the show. He's making a VR game um, uh, called Valiant which was, if you remember, a VR jousting game where you're using the Oculus Rift and the controller to ride around on a horse but also move around and shoot people at the same time. Very cool game. And with those, all these different types of headsets that are coming out, I kind of asked him if it was going to be difficult to support all these different sort of competing headset formats. It's quite easy to develop for both technically. Uh, we use Unity and that handles a lot of the hard work for us. The main difficulties come with the control schemes because Oculus is keyboard and mouse or Xbox controller and Vive is hand controllers. And you could have a seated Vive experience where you use keyboard and mouse, but Vive users just do not want that and they don't expect that from games. So probably the hardest thing is just changing your game or making your game work well with those control schemes. Unity allows you to, you could just build to to an Oculus headset or build to a Vive headset just in two clicks of a button. So that side of it's easy. Very simple sort of technology and, you know, you can... He made it sound super simple. He makes it sound simple, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it does. I'm sure it's much more complex than he actually is making out it to be. But yeah, you know, with the different types of technology they've got, part of the plans that they're talking about is also having uh, Vive players and Oculus players 
in the same game of, of uh, Valiant, but okay. obviously because they have different types of technology, they'll be taking on kind of different roles in the way that they actually play this game. So that's really cool. Like uh, the Oculus with the jousting we've already seen, it was quite effective and awesome. Um, if you didn't see that, listeners, do go back to what it was, episode 14, when we checked it out. Yeah, definitely have totally a look at that one. That. And they quite often show it off in, in different um, things and, as well. And yeah, the Vive embracing that kind of the 15 by 15 foot space that they can track in. I think that'll be wicked. And also awesome just having two different sets of VRs in the same world, like everyone kind of tuning into the same virtual world at once. That's awesome. We, uh, I had a chance to go through and have a look at some of the prices of ordering some oh, of these we headsets. Mm. Um, so when do we get one? They are a premium item, yes. shall we put it that way. Uh, do you guys have any idea what they would cost if you were to pick one up and ship them to the, far, the great southern land that we live in, the great brown land? All right, so basically the Samsung one... I believe when you buy the phone, they got some deal where you get one with it, right? Yeah. So I guess that would be, I don't so, know, the latest Samsung will be about 1002 so you'd probably get a deal. It'll probably be about, yeah, maybe 1003 Yeah, it can kind of... Yeah. Yeah. For, like, for the shell, I guess. There's, yeah, there's not really yeah. any technology in it can, yeah. it's There's a deal, and we're not sure 100% sure if it's yeah. going to be coming to Australia yet, but there's a deal in America that if you buy the new Samsung phone, you get a copy of the... the well, like, you get the Gear VR headset to... <laughs> not a copy of it, but, you know, yeah. they get the hardware to kind of connect your thing in. Now, the Vive, if you were to pick that one up, it's going to set you back a little over thirteen hundred dollars Australian. Yeah, so it's seven ninety nine US dollars in the US. Um, so plus more for Australia tax, plus yeah, more for shipping and sort of customs and stuff because it's going to hit just over that limit for the thousand dollars where we have uh, GST on top of that. Somebody go halvesies. <laughs> the Oculus Rift as well, moderately cheaper. Moderately cheaper, about eleven hundred dollars, maybe just under that sort of threshold as well that you might not hit. So hit with, with the, the vibe, you get vibe. the heads. The vibe. I can't say that word. Vibe. Yeah. You get the headset and the two lighthouses. Yeah, so two handsets. The, oh, yeah, those the two. The lighthouse yeah. is sort of like yeah. a tripod sort of thing where you kind of there are two laser sit up on top of it. Yeah, Because the, the version that we interacted with had two lighthouses. Yeah, mm. they all come yeah. two lighthouses. Okay. Yep. Oh, there you go. So Is the experience better with more? I don't know. It could okay. be. Well, Maybe no, I just moment. think it's because it's a, it's a movement thing. So, you so know, it, to know it needs, where you are it needs and... two points of reference, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. I, like, that's just a basic understanding of the need for two just because you're moving so much. It's a tracking system. So I chatted to Robert and I asked him what he thought about the pricing of this particular thing and he said it was pretty surprising actually. Well, so that's the crazy thing. Like, um, just from some of the news articles that have just started popping up, like in like the first ten minutes, um, just the amount of sales that the Vive has had and the um, like Oculus is there is a demand for it. Like, it is impressive how like fast these things are selling out. Like, they've it's already been pushed back quite a few mo- uh, a few months already for like pre-orders. Um, so, like, uh, and, and interesting enough is uh, Australia has gone crazy over this as well. Like. Um, we've at the moment out-ordered uh, the US even though we were paying so much for it um, from what I can tell based on the the delays on shipping but yeah um, it, it looks like it's here to stay like it looks like it's going to be big because it's like there is a lot of hardcore gamers out there and they're really looking forward to this because they love to soup up their computers and they love the best of the best and this is the best of the best and this is something to actually push their computers to the limit because they absolutely love pushing their computers to the limit Chris Parkin has two Vives set up at their office at Off Peak and they've actually been using both of them in tandem and I sort of asked him what it was like with that sort of experience and you know how does it feel to have that sort of thing on there a room scale experience where you're standing next to someone else and you can walk around and look at them and and point to things that is the other thing that's just 
sort of really fascinating and really amazing because it actually feels like there's another person there. Like we set up our room so we had two vibes in the same play space and we're in the virtual world and <laughs> there was a, a sort of desync between where we were in the virtual world and where we were in real life. So someone would be standing to your left in virtual reality and you'd be talking to them, but in real life they're in front of you or to your right and you'd hear them talking from both directions at once. And it was, it was a crazy experience, but that was cool. Being able to look at someone and see where they're looking and point to things, that's like a standout moment in our memory. Very, very it, fascinating. It's so interesting that's, how that's he said awesome. there was a desync because the initial, when, when the vibe was initially, I think, uh, demoed, I read about people who were using it and they could throw the controller to each other like in while immersed in the game like oh, while they were, while they were in the space. same environment yeah and they were they were it was a different setup to i think the yeah. one that was just mentioned but they were both in the same area in relation to each other in the real world and they could throw the controller to each other but it looked like something else it looked like a football or something well like that. i tell you yeah. what the the thing about the technology is that it is pretty immersive and if i think if you're set up in a perfect environment where everyone is spaced out perfectly and you know exactly right then that would be fine but you know when you're in that headset mm -hmm. you basically have someone there who's kind of kind of like monitor you so you exactly. don't do some things um when i was talking to chris about this i said uh you know i asked him basically how long until we're going to see something pretty exciting happening with these how long do you think it'll be until someone falls down a set of stairs with a, a vibe attached to their head? <laughs> Not long at all. Like in our office, we have some stairs located right next to where would have been the best area to set up our vibe. So we were seriously considering setting it up there and we thought, oh, it has a chaperone system, so we'll be safe. But we're glad that we didn't set it up there because even with the chaperone system, we find ourselves hitting the wall and hitting tables. So if that was at the edge where we were going to put it, we would have ended up falling over the stairs by now. Not only taking yourself out, but also taking out an expensive VR headset probably <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah. computer attached to it. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be very to, fun. You need to trust your friends. Yeah, you, yeah. Want, to, you want to make sure <laughs> you, that you can trust them that they're not going to let you walk down a set of stairs or something. Or if people are playing at home. I mean, that's the other thing is that you would have to have someone there to play with you. You would need, because that's one thing about VR, you need the space. Yeah, and, and you the, need the environment and yeah, you need the, the people around the you that support. you can trust. So yeah. let's just jump into our next topic right now, but I'm sure there's plenty more we can talk about with uh, HTC and the Oculus Rift and the Gear VR in, coming up in future episodes. Yeah, PlayStation VR is coming up as well. Yeah, exactly right. Did you know PixelZip is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the PixelZip website. Nostalgia is a big part of gaming, and it's one of the things that um, many people are kind of drawn to when they're playing games, again, in their, you know, take it back to what they've done. There are also many games that we kind of take this nostalgia and the spiritual succession on of games that have, may have finished off or may no, no longer be, you know, going on. We're going to be talking a little bit about spiritual successes and some of the great examples that we can come and um, talk of and, and how they take things that were originally made and kind of go from there. Now, look, I've got a huge list of them because there's just so many out there. Go for it. List um, them off. But I'm going to go with my favorite, um, Perfect Dark, being the successor to Goldeneye. Yep. Because it was just kind of left off with that wicked gameplay and we were kind of, you know, limiting, limited levels sort of thing. Um, and but, from that, from those people who made Goldeneye, 
and Perfect Dark. Yep. There was another one as well. Went into Time Splitters. Time, time Splitters, yeah. Yeah, so I the sh- Time Splitters series has a very similar sort of feel to it. It's it, that a lot of the same sort of mechanics as, you know, remote minds and all that sort of definitely. thing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but and, oh, anyway, I'll just go through the most notable ones mm. for me anyway. Um, Dark Souls, uh, which goes back to the Demon Souls and also King Field, King's Field series. Um, Bioshock goes back to System Shock and also even before that, Ultima. Um, Assassin's Creed, Prince of Persia. And Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault. It was basically, you know, uh, 22 members of the development team from Allied Assault left to find Infinity Ward, um, entering into a relationship played, with Activision. I, I played a like lot that. of Allied Assault back in the day, actually. I remember it being very... It was when, yeah, well, there was Battlefield, basically, in Allied yeah. Assault. And then it kind of went on and then there was Call of Duty all of a sudden. So very different sort of game as well. Mm. Um, and kind of, you know, the people who learnt the lessons they did in... Um, the game companies that are at have gone on to make different sort and, of games. And that's what a lot of these successes are. They're, you know, um, uh, a development kind of having the last laugh and proving their prior publishers wrong and, you know, that starting is, a whole new thing. That's some of the things as well. You've seen a lot of Kickstarter campaigns for different games where people have tried to revive things that publishers have basically said, well, look, the market's moved on from yeah, that. Well, one, of the, one of the notable examples. Go on. Yeah, so um, yeah, so Freedom Planet is something that I've been playing recently, and that is a spiritual spiritual successor to the 2D Sonic game. So your Sega oh, Mega yeah. Drive, yeah, and I'm liking it a lot more than I like Sonic because I think right now the Sonic games, I think they're kind of the joke of the video game video game industry, aren't they? Oh, like I've just there's a there was definitely a, a, a oh. shift when Sega stopped making their own hardware yeah. and yeah, kind okay. of became a more of a game publisher. And... But I guess the Freedom Planet. They've given the main protagonist, like, it's, she's oh. a dragon, I guess. And they, yep. go, they go, like, why are you so fast? She goes, I'm a dragon. Duh. It's like, yeah. yeah, okay, cool. And then so she has a lot more mechanics associated with her mm. that you kind of wish Sonic had. Like, she has, like a, like, a ground pound attack. She's got, like, far more offensive techniques to be using as enemies other than roll and jump. I think as well. Which is, yeah. I you like know, games point. have moved on and things get more yeah. complex as well. So you're saying, yes, it's kind of a, a modernization of the particular thing. Some of the great elements that you enjoyed, but also more of the things you have. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's something I realized as well when you're playing. You know, they did the re-release of Pokemon this week as well. And you realize how much the series actually changed. And there's so many little bits and pieces that you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. But that didn't exist back in, mm-hmm. you know, 1997 when the first one came I out. Think so Freedom Planet has done a good job in keeping the aesthetic Mm -hmm. but giving us some new abilities to work with. One of the other ones I was thinking of as well is the uh, some of the people who made the original Banjo Kazooie games. Yokar Lele. Made up to yeah, ukulele. Mm. Um, And that's kind of coming out. I think that's going to be a a VR title as well. Well, that Um, like uh, that made Kickstarter history. It was the fastest game ever to reach a million dollars in funding. Yeah, interesting. Interestingly enough, it's a big it's it's a big seller. Really, people really want the the things of their youth, and you know we've talked about this in previous episodes that people like to buy the games that they've played before or, or yep. go into things they've done, and then now they want more of the same. And as different sort of generations of people go through and they they buy different sort of games, you know things move on. So well, we've got a um, a future, not another one that's going to be out uh, just like um, y- ukulele, I guess. Yeah, uh, the successor to Burnout. Ah. Um, Three Fields Entertainment, which is a studio founded by uh, last year by Criterion's founders Alex Ward and Fiona Sperry, they uh, they've been alluding to a burnout successor. There's no names or I details or anything, but they've basically come out and hinted very very heavily that there will be one coming out. Um, they've got a the more their arcadey first, style. Well, their first racer. game's Spring 2016, and they said the next one's going to be a racing game, very similar to Burnout's. Um, so yeah. 
that has to look forward to. There's and- also that line that we were talking about as well, where games can kind of you want to be a, a sort of referential and respectful towards the 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 game that you're kind of referencing, or but without being too derivative and but, completely taking all of the mechanics and basically just reskinning it. I'd almost argue that's the key to success uh, in this in in the gaming industry these days. Taking something that wasn't, you know, maybe missed the mark slightly and then repackaging it in a new thing. I mean, let's look at Destiny. We'll go back before that Halo. Before that, Destiny. it was Marathon. You know, like mm. yeah. every kind of next succession in these, and and the same can be said about most of the things I've said so far. Um, it feels like every kind of successor does really get a closer to that. Um, Mark, I mean Fallout. All yeah. the big games at the moment, you could, you can almost all of them anyway. I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of the games, the huge games at the moment, can be traced back. Fallout, well, Fallout goes back to Wasteland. Think about um, one of the Oscar-winning films from a couple of years ago was The Artist that actually came out, and that was a silent film in black and white. <laughs> and you know, obviously, technology has moved beyond that point now. We're at you know 3D cinemas and ultra high def and all that sort of thing. But stylistically, they picked it to be that particular style for the purpose of telling the story and the purpose of evoking a certain feeling and a certain idea. And I think that's for a lot of these games that do it well and do it in a good sort of clever way, they're trying to do exactly that as well. They're trying to get that same feeling um, but also do it in a modern way and, and for a new audience. A lot of people remember the feeling, I think, and then like the 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 idea of how fun it was and just they just need to get that again and then... For people who never experienced it, maybe it's the first like but, first opportunity. It's a good opportunity to jump in and then go, oh, have a look. You know, do you like this new album from this band? Maybe go back and listen to their back catalogue. Yeah, well, I'm a firm believer in the idea that there is no original kind of things these days. Everything's kind of been done before, at least to some degree. All you can do is take something and kind of you know make it a bit better, in your opinion. Uh, and that's what I feel all the spiritual successes are doing really well at the moment. And that's why there's so many we can talk about and discuss at the moment. Very well said, Scott. <laughs> we always take everything that we can and we try to build it up upon it from every week and learn more for each each lesson yeah, as well. Yeah, one day we'll have an original Pixel series. <laughs> one week it won't be. Yeah, it's all going to be completely like that. When are so, we going to spiritual success? Yeah, maybe there will be a spirit success. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Pixel Sift. We hope you enjoyed the show. As usual, we'll be putting all the links up on our website, which is www.pixelsift.com.au. Mitch, where can people find us on social media? Yeah, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and now on youtube.com forward slash AU. That's right, Scott. And if people want to listen to our old episodes, where are they going to? Uh, they should go to our brand new website to stream episodes, subscriber podcast, either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or the RSS link on our page. And if you're on iTunes or any of the other stores that you get your music and podcasts from, give us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. And maybe you just recommend it to a friend. We will catch you guys again next week for another episode of Pixel Sift. That's right. Peace out. Gotcha. See ya. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au 
forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 